G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're counting down the days now and it's just coming up 25th of March. But pre-poll and postal voting starts just a couple of weeks out on the 18th of March. There's 15 parties that are registered for the state election. The coalition won the last election, 2019, with 48 seats to Labor's 36, nine members on the crossbench, three Greens, three Independents and three Shooters, Fishers and Farmers. Labor needs nine seats on a swing of more than 6% for majority government. This time around... Fred Nile is resigning after 42 years in the New South Wales Upper House and he's putting forward his wife Sylvana Nile to fill his place on the ballot paper. And there are some other Christians who are standing independently of some backing that's coming from Christian organisations that have aspiration for party status in New South Wales. Well, we're going to get into a conversation about the New South Wales state election and our special guest is Rob Norman. Rob is the Australian Christian Lobby State Director for New South Wales for Queensland and the ACT. Rob, a special welcome along to 2020. It's great to be in the studio with you, Neil. Hey, Rob, a New South Wales state election, it is important, and we're going to be looking at some of the issues around this, but just from the very outset, having a conversation like this does have a motivation for us, and that is to help Christians who do want to be politically aware and have their Christian worldview impact the way they think about how they vote. And you've got the initiative, the New South Wales votes.org.au or nswvotes.org.au. It is a resource to be used by Christian believers to get insights into those candidates. Yes, Neil, that's right. Uh, our website, as you said, nswvotes.org.au, or you can connect to it through the ACL website, acl.org.au. Uh, we're providing a whole bunch of information there, and we're looking at the big issues that we see as. Uh, important for the next term, parental rights, gender ideology, uh, gambling, conversion therapy, religious discrimination, and even issues like abortion and euthanasia that we all think are in the rear vision mirror, but they keep coming up. And so we've, we're focusing on those. We've also got uh, vo- voting records of uh, upper and lower house. So we're highlighting the records that people have made in parliament over the last term of parliament. And we're also looking at... Um, uh, the candidates who are, have renominated for this election. So we're looking at, we've surveyed many of those. We've sent out uh, surveys to all of them, in fact, and that is being populated. It's kind of interactive at this stage. You know, when we've seen this sort of research in previous elections, uh, listeners will be interested to know that this is something that is, as you say, being populated as we speak. And uh, here we are, just the start of March, uh, but we're on our way to the election. And over the next few weeks, uh, there's going to be a lot of information, a lot of detail that's going to inform voting people in New South Wales. 
the value of that, Rob? Because, you know, in times gone by, there's been some sketchy surveys here and there, but uh, you've got a great team at the Australian Christian Lobby and working on this, making a very sophisticated resource for people to actually use to become informed. That's right, and it's so important that the Christian vote is heard. We, we are a values-driven uh, bunch, the Christian community, and so uh, the Australian Christian Lobby has a real, um, a real role in presenting those values in a way that people can then look at and make an informed vote. And so we're really committed to doing that. And as you say, there's a great team working in the background. These things don't happen in a, in a vacuum, and so there's a team researching Repopulating, we're hearing from candidates on a daily basis. I get text messages, and so people are communicating with us, and we try to keep things up to date. So that'll happen. And the first thing they'll see when they go into the website, by the way, is that there is now 24 days till the election and counting. And so that's an important number to remember. Uh, the countdown is on. You know, on previous elections, uh, you've even had the faith of candidates and sitting members, and I'm talking about the federal election. I don't know whether you're going that deep, but uh, the surveys that you're putting out, the research that you're doing, does it even take into account the faith position of all of the sitting members and the candidates? It certainly does. That was part of our questionnaire. Um, Now, I should say that we only have a handful of responses so far. We expect that to fill. But one of the questions we ask uh, candidates is, do you identify as being a Christian? If they answer yes to that question, then we ask them what the name of the church is that they attend and even who their senior minister might be. So um, there's a a level of self-accountability going on in that. And so that is an important issue. People want to know. Firstly, whether candidates are Christian. Secondly, whether if they're not Christian, that they are committed to um, conservative values and particularly Christian values. And what we've come to appreciate about elections is that whether the person who is elected to a representative position, lower house or upper house, uh, whether they are Christian or not, in some sense is a little bit secondary as to how the voter This is the person with the power. This is every person listening to us now who's particularly those listeners in New South Wales. It's the people who have the power here because if you vote a certain way, if you vote according to your values, then elected candidates, they are adjusting their policies because they want to win your vote. How do you reflect on those sorts of things, Rob? Yeah, that's a great point. And you know, at the end of the day, part of my job and part of the Australian Christian Lobby's job is to talk to candidates about the way they vote, uh, particularly MPs, I should say, um, and hold them accountable. So we do that in a number of ways. Uh, we'll have conversation with them. We also try to build relationship with them um, right across the board. That's, that's part of my role. Um, and we'll also scrutinise the way they vote in Parliament. So particularly when there's a conscience vote, it's really important that we record that, that we're able to then come back to our supporters and make that information public so that it is everything is accountable, everything's above board, and people vote in a very informed way. Now, not to distract from our conversation, because our focus through the hour is going to be on the New South Wales state election, but uh, as someone who is a state director for New South Wales, as you are also handling responsibility for Queensland and the ACT, people might be wondering uh, what someone like yourself does. Uh, Are you welcome when you wander through the 
the corridors of the parliaments or are you meeting with members and opposition members uh, you know in a in an informal context are you passing on information is it those conversations is it relationship building how do you go about some of your daily work yeah so I've been in the job, Neil, for 12 months, and a a fair chunk of that job has been uh, building those relationships. And initially, that starts with reaching out by email, perhaps, or um, maybe through a contact of a friend of a friend, through a text message. Um, I've done coffee with MPs. That's a great way to catch up with them. I go to Parliament from time to time. Um, There are other times where it has the potential of being a bit more adversarial. We try to avoid that. Um, and so it's it's a it's it's a relational job, and so we use whatever means we can basically to build relationship with uh, with MPs and to really get into the conversation to try and work out how they tick. Um, there will be times where sometimes I might uh, present a bill or a, an outline of a bill or the way way we view that, and they may not have been aware of some of the details. So. We'll have discussion at that level as well, and we. Tr- so my the way I go about that is to try and use a fairly summarised form, to, so that there's not too much detail, but just to enter into the discussion and be a part of uh, what's in their mind as they go in to vote. And so you're a part of what is a really relational team because when you say uh, at times it becomes adversarial, Mm. sometimes it's adversarial when there's public statements made, Uh, but you're, as a lobbyist, as the way that you're relating is actually you want to befriend those leaders so that they will understand that they can ask you personally what do the Christians think about a position here? And you can reflect how Christians would vote. You can reflect how Christians would feel about taking some very controversial decisions that uh, people are making in parliaments, uh, whether it's federal or state. But this relationalness is really powerful. It's uh, It sure is. It, and I think it's the most important part of what we do. To And I'm obviously biased because that's my role, but... Um, I've been in situations where the first part of the conversation has been fairly awkward. Um, obviously, the person I'm speaking to has opposing worldviews to what we might have. Um, and in this one particular meeting, we actually spent an hour together. And by the end of it, we shook hands. We were friendly. Um, and we've been exchanging uh, information ever since. So you have to understand, I guess, that people do have different worldviews. Um, and if they're coming from a completely different angle... We're not going to change them from day one. It could be incremental, it, and it may just be a case of uh, helping them to make an informed decision as well and understanding how other people think. So it's it's a pastoral job in that respect. Um, it's also it's also a, uh, a relationship-building exercise. Relationship-building exercises are the long game. That's it. Uh, it's not jump in there, make a quick hit, uh, you're out of there and you've convinced everyone you're right. Actually, uh, the relational aspect uh, where they've got someone to bounce off to be able to use as a sounding board to reflect ideas, that's really where influence happens. And uh, and there's nothing underhanded about that. That's just the way that, as a Christian leader, you've got a wonderful opportunity to do that. Now, just uh, talking through that for a moment, because not everyone knows you so well, uh, but you do have a, a history. Uh, you know, your career has been in pastoring. So pastoring to political lobbyist, uh, does, how does that work? Well, I still consider this job to be full-time ministry, Neil. Um, my wife and I planted a church over 30 years ago. We 
grew that church to being substantial. It's a church in Adelaide, and um, there are many similarities between people are people wherever you go. So whether you're dealing with uh, business people or you know constituents in your church, um, dealing with people in Parliament is no different. They're human beings. They have emotions. They have biases. They have views. And I guess part of the role of being a pastor is that you listen. God created us with two ears and one mouth, and so I do a fair bit of listening and try and do some talking when I'm invited to do that. Wonderful pastoral relationship building, and uh, you could even say as a Christian lobbyist, you almost take the role of a Christian chaplain. So it's a it's a sort of an unofficial chaplaincy that you actually bring to the table or bring to the parliaments that you're responsible for. Hey, let's talk faith and politics because the leaders in New South Wales, uh, the Premier Dominic Perrottet and the opposition leader Chris Minns, they have both fronted some town hall meetings where the questions were put from the religious community. When I say religious, we're talking about a multi-religious base there. So you've got Islamists and Hindus and all sorts of people, but there's Christians in the mix as well. Uh, Just uh, an overall general thought on on how you think those meetings were received by the general public. Yeah, um, I've audited those meetings. I haven't watched them in full yet. So they have been live streamed. They can be followed through by others. And I've chatted with people being involved in the meetings. I think they've been very well received. Um, I think it's a great initiative and um, really excellent that the that both ministers have availed themselves to those meetings. I think what we've seen is uh, a range of views on different issues and it, it really does help people of faith and particularly ministers and leaders um, give guidance to their congregations. Well, let's just pick up on one of the huge issues that are facing parliaments all around Australia and uh, for listeners everywhere interested in what the leaders are saying in New South Wales. They are very prominent leaders, Dominic Perrottet, Chris Minns. So on this very, very controversial topic of conversion therapy, uh, they've both delivered their thoughts to these town hall meetings. Do you have a perception on on how they might have uh, responded? Uh, Are they acceptable types of responses? Yeah, well, I think they are at this point. Um, there's always hidden detail, and when I guess whenever a politician says, "Trust me," we should have we should be optimistically cautious. So I don't I, I don't particularly take people at face value. Value if we we must you know sort of read into the things that aren't said as well. And so we have had a commitment, I believe, from uh, the premier that if. A bill is introduced, which he's determined that that will happen. If a bill is introduced for conversion therapy, there will be uh, certain exemptions for ministers when they preach the gospel, um, and there will also be uh, other allowances, basically, for people to um, seek help if they if they need that help. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Because when you've got leaders, and I don't know whether this has happened before, town hall style meetings where religious leaders get to put the questions, uh, this might be a new thing and uh, hopefully something that can happen every time there's a state election all around Australia. But at least these leaders have been courageous enough to front the Christians because, especially on issues like this conversion therapy, because listeners will know, as we've talked about on this program, this is the sort of legislation that turns a Christian into a criminal. Uh, And this is what's happened in Victoria uh, around issues of people seeking help 
uh, and in the context of you know an unwanted same-sex attraction, seeking help from the church, even getting advice or prayer or even to the point of parents around the table and their own children criminalizing people because they're seeking help because uh, there are people with unwanted same-sex attraction seeking help. So to have the leaders actually saying something is good, and uh, but perhaps you know some of them might be just uh, you know working around the edges there. This is where you th- say uh, you know optimistic about uh, whether they're telling us the truth and uh, and yep. m- not being pessimistic on the other side, which most people tend to take. Well. That's right, Neil. I mean, there there are multiple options when this bill is raised. Um, if we if we consider that the Victorian model, as you say, is is a draconian model, it's very difficult to see any way that uh, we could you know even operate. I mean, there's two diametrically opposed dynamics going on within that bill. So even to function as as a Christian minister trying to help someone through gender dysphoria or any of the issues associated with with uh, with being trans, that is a—it's a, almost a dead full stop. Um, and then, if we also consider that we have Alex Greenwich as a, an independent in the New South Wales mix, who's also determined to bring a bill in, um, and both leaders are saying they won't use either of those models; they'll come up with their own model. Um, there's literally four different versions of the same bill, and it's really important that we do our homework. And, and I'm really delighted that these forums took place because it means we, we're starting to see some differences between the four different models. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision Christian Radio. Rob Norman is our guest. Rob is the ACL State Director for New South Wales, also for Queensland and the ACT. He's got his hat on as uh, Director for New South Wales as we talk about the upcoming New South Wales state election. Uh, Rob, let's stay with this issue around conversion therapy because it is something that has the risk of criminalising Christians and uh, that in some sense is confronting when we hear that. The leaders at the town hall debates, let me just reflect on some things for your comment here. Dominic Perrottet says there's no place for harmful practices in our state. Since this issue was raised, people have raised with me examples of food deprivation, electroshock therapy. Well, those practices are wrong and we'll move to outlaw them. At the same time, we will not ban prayer. We will not ban preaching. That is fundamental to freedom of religion in this state and in this country. Thoughts here on Dominic Perrottet, and uh, is that clear enough a, a presentation for where you'd expect uh, in your role at the Christian lobby? I, look, as a minimum, I think that that's a great statement. It, it, we would really, I would like to see some detail on on what that actually means. So, what does it mean to give? Uh, preaching freedoms to, to churches, basically, to, to anyone. To me, that should include the pulpit, but it should go beyond that. People should be free to express an opinion. And once we start clamping down on people's freedom to express religion and religious uh, views, then we're in very murky waters. And it probably highlights the fact that we don't have a religious freedom bill in place to protect Christians. And even the thought that it might be in a right context, we will not ban preaching, that comes, doesn't it, in response to the thought that maybe we could ban preaching. This thought that governments can encroach on the freedoms of the church 
and the freedoms of what people believe. And that's a very, very serious thing. Uh, just the fact that that's even in the statement, it might be clarifying it, but that gives an alarm bell warning that if that's in there, that needs to be hold, held to very tightly. That's very, that's very true. And again, it comes down to uh, the fact that we do not have religious freedoms in New South Wales. So, for instance, and here's, here's an example, uh, there is nothing to stop a shop owner putting a sign on the window in New South Wales to say, we do not serve Christians. It's that, it's that fundamental, and, and unless we have laws that protect religious freedom, um, those summations are always going to be on. So when, when the, the point is made that we will protect the right to preach in the pulpit, uh, you're right. There is, there's, a hidden, there's a hidden negative in that as well that, that really needs the detail to be exposed on. Let me just say what Chris Minns, the opposition leader, said in response to this same issue around conversion therapy. He said, taking offence at the teachings of a religious leader will not be banned. Expressing a religious belief through sermon will not be banned. And an individual with their own consent seeking guidance through prayer will not be banned either. Uh, he added that any new legislation would focus on protecting young people, insisting he would not transpose legislation that is too broad from states like Victoria, but would pursue his own bill. Thoughts on his response? Yes. Yeah, see, that's again that that really uh, highlights what you're talking about, Neil. There is a fair bit of ambiguity in that statement, and um, again, we need to hear the facts on it. And unfortunately, when when a bill goes before Parliament, and um, parties have different ways of processing these things. Often people of faith within the parliament are bound to vote with the party. And so if the policy isn't crystal clear and upfront, then I think um, voters have every right to ask more questions on that. There's a lot of hidden detail in those statements. So your own local member and those who are up for as candidates in your own electorate this is a time when you personally make a call, make an appointment. Uh, there's a campaign on. Everyone assumes that everybody who is up for election is very busy at this time, but busy waiting to hear from listeners who are listening to our conversation today. That's exactly right. And politics is a numbers game. At the end of the day, it's, uh, it's, it's incumbent on us, particularly as believers, um, that we should engage with our local politician, chat to them, talk to them, get to know how they tick, understand whether they um, are able or willing to vote with their conscience on issues like this, um, depending on which of the major parties. If they're a major party uh, MP, um, there will be certain rules that govern the way they can vote in Parliament. So in particular, in the Labor Party, all the hard work is done in the party room and there isn't a public eye on that. Um, with the Liberal Party, there's often a little bit more uh, freedom for uh, politicians to cross the floor and so we should as Christians we need to be in in that situation we should be talking to MPs understanding their conscience um, getting assurances from them on how they'll vote and asking for detail Rob what do you make of uh, some money that has been committed here uh, the uh, the government committed 10 million dollars uh, to a uh, to a uh, a forum to improve safety and security and religious institutions, schools and community centres. Now, uh, Chris Minns, he's told the multi-faith forum that Labor's committing $15 million 
to improve safety, security at religious institutions, schools and community centres. And he's upmanship there uh, on the coalition that committed $10 million. So you've got the government and the opposition committing money to some level of safety. But is this something you ought to be suspicious about too? What are your thoughts? Absolutely. Absolutely. Every time. I mean, whenever money's committed to anything that talks about safety, I mean, I personally, I, I often go back to thinking about safe schools. And so you've got that tag that uh, really flags our attention. And it's sort of, it's a word, safety is a word that everyone agrees with, obviously. Um, but one person's safety can be weaponized against another person. And so we have to be very, again, we've got to ask for detail. We, we want to know what that actually means and whether that means uh, there is any measure or level of weaponization against particularly the Christian faith, which is what we stand with. Uh, it appears uh, from the debates, it would also establish a Premier's Racism and Extremism Prevention Panel to respond to growing safety concerns among faith groups and culturally diverse communities in New South Wales to stamp out racial and religious bullying and hate crimes. And I think the focus there is around protecting Islam. Now, that's interesting too because sometimes Christianity comes into some level of uh, adversarial or conflict uh, with Islam. So uh, puts Christians again at risk of being able to speak freely about the uh, the elements of our own faith. That's right. And so certain comments that people made could be viewed as being a vilification and so forth. Um, And it would be, again, it's a detail issue. Whenever safety is mentioned, we should be very cautious about it. And so, yeah, I, I do have a question mark on that, Neil. I think it's something we should we need to follow through. Uh, Rob, uh, we're going to invite listeners to be a part of the conversation today. Let's take a call. Richard is in Alstonville in New South Wales. Hi, Richard. Welcome along. Uh, g'day. Um, I had uh, two questions for Rob. Um, first one being um, last federal election. I was voting, and on the Senate paper, and I, I didn't, I didn't want to put anything for the Greens, but by mistake, I put something for the Greens, and thinking it was a, a low vote, it wouldn't get counted or anything. So I guess my question out of that is, with you guys, and and preferencing and stuff, if I vote for somebody, say like One Nation, and that, will they be in the same policy mindset and, and side as you guys? A good question in all of that, uh, Richard. Uh, when we're talking about these things, uh, Rob, uh, preferencing, hugely important. Yeah, that's a great question, um, Richard. Uh, look, at the end of the day, the upper house ticket particularly is a tricky ticket. And so um, it, it's important that you mark at least 15 boxes if you're going beneath the line on the on the ticket. And what that allows you to do is to vote for candidates that you prefer um, so beneath the line is, is, is the way to go, in my opinion. The other way to do it is to vote above the line, and if you do that, you're voting for the party or the group, and there's nothing to stop you from voting for as many as you like in order. So you start at one for your number one preference, and you can go as far as you like. One is the minimum above the line. Um, I would recommend you do the whole lot. And in terms of the, your question about um, the One Nation Party, let me say this, um, Australian Christian Lobby will never tell you who to vote for. That's not part of what we do. What we do do, Richard, is that we'll, we'll talk to people about the policy and some of the ideas that we have in terms of upcoming bills and the important 
um, issues that the, elect- the electorate faces. I would say on many of those issues, um, the One Nation Party aligns with where we're coming from, um, but it's up to you to make that choice. So there's, there's lots of different choices, and it's really important you do your homework. Does that okay. answer your question, Richard? Uh, yeah, just, just one other question quickly. Um, if, if you do preference somebody that you didn't want to put on the ballot, that, that vote only gets counted, is that right? Or is it only, only like a certain percentage or something, if it, even if it's low on the, the ballot? If it's, yeah, if it's low on the ballot, Richard, it, it, will, it may well exhaust before it gets to that. Um, but the other thing that I would recommend, if you are not happy with the way you've numbered the ballot paper, then you can take it back to the official and ask for a new paper and start again. Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, Richard, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. Let's not go away from preferences too quickly because, you know, in the last uh, Victorian election, it came to light in a big way that there were people who were manipulating things called preference whisperers. Now, I don't know whether in New South Wales there's any sort of regulation that keeps that whole issue at bay, the manipulation of how preferences flow. But uh, let's talk about how disciplined you need to be when you are talking about your preferences here. What's your encouragement for New South Wales voters coming up for the election? Yeah, look, there's a, preferences are a big deal. And at, when you enter the polling place, there's a queue up of people that are trying to hand you their how-to-vote cards what they're trying to do, Neil, is they're trying to get you to preference there the way they want to preference. So they've done deals and they want you to vote according to the way their card is structured. We, we really encourage voters to do their homework. To That's why we say get to know your local candidate, get to know those candidates that are standing and what they stand for, um, get as much detail as you can. And um, me personally, when I go to a polling place, I've done my homework before I get there, so I generally don't take a how-to-vote card. Um, that's the hardcore way to do it. If you've, left, if you've left everything till the last minute, then you're at the mercy of um, the how-to-vote card. So preference whispering is a thing. It's real. Deals are done. And we've got to be smart. We've got to be ahead of the game. As one commentator has shared on this program, most people put more research into a new refrigerator they're buying than they do about the person they're voting for on election day. So uh, take a hint there and be uh, really, really uh, across the detail when it comes to how you're casting your vote in the election because the parties are counting on people not to know. That's how you get to manipulate all the preference flows, isn't it? Because if the voter doesn't know, they're easily manipulated. Hey, let me just ask you, though, um, if there is going to be any of the Christian candidates. Now, when I say Christian candidates, two I've been talking to, Lyle Shelton, who is as standing as an independent. He's leading a ticket. He's got the backing of the Family First Party that's not registered in New South Wales for the election, so he'll be an independent candidate for the Upper House. There's another outfit, C4C, Christians for Community, Milton Kane, similar sort of thing. Uh, Christians who are putting their hand up for an Upper House our seat. Is there a likelihood they could be successful? What has to happen to make that successful? Because the next question I'd ask you beyond that, of course, is the value of having a Christian on 
a crossbench in the upper house in the New South Wales Parliament. Uh, give us your thoughts around those particular identities. Yeah, that's again a good question. Um, the ACL website, acl.org.au, if you click on the link to NSW Votes, um, we, we're going to give you some information on and some background on uh, both those guys, uh, Lyle and Milton. So there's information there about them and it'll tell you their voting intentions. But when it comes to supporting a Christian voter, a Christian candidate, we're really saying we agree with your worldview. And so, again, ACL doesn't tell people how to vote. Everyone's got to make their own mind up in how to do that and assess whether there is value in having a Christian in Parliament. But at the end of the day, it's so important that we have discipline in the way we allocate preferences because the likelihood of an independent becoming a Senate, uh, 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 an MLC, is, is actually low. So they've got to win a quota, um, and a quota is over 250,000 votes. It's, it's, I can't remember the exact number. It's up around 300,000. And so it's really important that we have a second, third, fourth, and as I said, down to 15 preferences at least. Now, in a conversation I had with Lyle Shelton, he has got a way that he is preferencing one nation, uh, how does that fit? How does that sit uh, for Australian Christian lobby? Is that something that uh, you're saying to people, uh, that's not such a bad way to go? You did mention Mark Latham. You did mention One Nation. How does that fit with the Christian candidate and the flow of preferences? Yeah, so I guess I can say is, um, and obviously I can't speak to, the, to what Lyle Shelton does with his preferences, but what I can say there is that um, in the last parliament, Mark Latham raised two very important bills into the parliament. And uh, one of them was a Freedom of Religion Bill, which was designed to uh, modify the Anti-Discrimination Act and really offer some protections for religious people. The other one was a bill called the Parental Rights Bill. Now, it had a longer name than that, but, th but that was the abbreviated name. And what that bill would do is protect parents in uh, having you know, information given to them about their child's ed education particularly when it comes to gender ideology. So it gave parents the right to withdraw their child from class as a last resort even. Um, my, my view on this is that Lyle has seen those, uh, those particular bills and, and decided that he can certainly work within that because that would be a part of his worldview as well. So no matter what you might have thought of One Nation in the past, there is a warming to One Nation that's coming from the Christian commentariat because of such powerful bills that you've just mentioned that Mark Latham has introduced. Let's change direction and Talkback Line is open 1-800-316-316 talking New South Wales state election, something of a preview, getting Christian ideas here. There's been some Meet the Candidate forums that have been scheduled. We mentioned the uh, the town hall uh, events that have happened with the leaders. Uh, Meet the Candidate forums, you've got some of those planned for the, for the lead up to the election? Yep, we do, Neil. Uh, we're running three in-person forums in uh, the western areas of, of Sydney. So uh, we're looking at Parramatta, Campbelltown and Liverpool. Um, those forums will be aimed at the upper house and for the reasons I've just previously mentioned. So those two really important areas that we think are important uh, issues that people need to know about. So we're running those. We're also doing an online webinar. And again, all these are accessible through our website, acl.org.au.
Now, other organizations, uh, Christian organizations, Freedom for Faith, that's another one. They've got something like 80 uh, Meet the Candidate forums that are scheduled all over the state of New South Wales. How exciting is this, that there seems to be a momentum that we've not even seen before, perhaps in any election or at least uh, in in any short memory, of uh, churches, church leaders, uh, of a enthusiasm coming from local churches about their own local electorate. How, how exciting is this, Rob? Oh, this is magnificent, Neil. Um, I think it proves that there is a God in heaven that looks over everything and uh, he's, in, he's in control of everything. So what we're seeing with Freedom for Faith is that they are running, as you said, local candidate uh, forums, which really focus on the, on the lower house, and then ACL are focusing on the upper house, and between those groups and others, um, we're covering a fair chunk of the state. All right. Wonderful cooperation that's happening there from Christian organisations, uh, left, right and centre, all over the state of New South Wales. Let me just ask you, because there's so many things we could talk about, the primary focus, the priorities that ACL is going to be looking at. Uh, we mentioned the upper house but issues around education, issues around parental rights, uh, these are the sort of, you know, towards the top of the list, aren't they, for you? Yep, that's exactly right. So um, we're looking at, and these are areas that are under attack as well. So it, we're in a fast-moving world. We can all see that that's happening. Um, I think, if you know, all of us, if we look back 10 years and compared it to now, we would not believe where we're at in terms of some of the... Um, uh, legislation that's been coming through, in particular with gender and the trans lobby, that's been so powerful. They've affected uh, governments right across the country. And so we're focusing on those defensive areas particularly. And so the, the upper house is the house of review. Um, in the case where there's a very close election, the upper house becomes even more important because it means that legislation that's passed through to it then is reviewed before it goes into law. So it's important that we have that upper house uh, tied down well. And, of course, schools, when we talk education, is a frontline battle because schools are being targeted by all sorts of lobbyists uh, who want legislation to go their way, and it is all very anti-Christian. And we've had conversations now over a long time that somehow or other in all of the uh, gender diversity, uh, sexuality, trans agenda, Christians become the target. That really is very much the case, and schools are the battlefield. Absolutely. Um, and look, this is a spiritual battle. We, we know that. We know that as believers. We know that there's more than meets the eye in any of these things. And um, definitely that gender idea is, is, is flowing into our education system. So we've got situations, for instance, Neil, where uh, little kids can uh, give, tell, their, uh, tell their teacher that they intend to transition and by the way, don't tell my parents about that. And um, that that's just not good enough. We want to. We believe that um, parents are primal in the upraising of their children, and particularly in education. And so this is a major battlefront, and we're determined not to give up on it. So while the schools are the battlefront, uh, what flows on from that is the robbing of the rights of parents to even have a say, to even be able to address these issues with their own children, as though the state owns your children. That's something that Christians tend to resist very strongly. And that's a culture wars issue. It really is. It's a case of 
uh, culture determining politics, and that's always the case. I mean, culture is 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 upstream of politics, and unless we get the culture right, unless we understand in our own minds that parents are responsible for their children, then the politicians will determine um, our views. And if we're silent, they'll they'll just fill in the blanks. So it's really important that we're vocal on this one. And, uh, you know, to use a sort of a strange metaphor, uh, one that people are familiar with, though, once the genie's out of the bottle, <laughs> it's very hard to get it back in. And with the things that are happening that we are seeing in some places around Australia, here's the opportunity for New South Wales people to have their say. Their vote is very powerful. On Election Day, they'll get to cast their vote for a local candidate and for upper house seats. Uh, and the way you use your vote this time, uh, which is, you know, encouraged by the resource to think like a Christian, act like a Christian, when even when you're voting, this is an important element of, of how change happens. It is, and I, and I believe that, um, uh, you know, Christians are becoming much more aware. Uh, churches are becoming switched on to issues nowadays. Um, and there's, you know, there's, there are good reasons for that, obviously, because there is a, a full frontal attack p- taking place. Um, but it's encouraging to see that Christians are responding and we're starting to see that these issues are important. And I think, look, particularly in New South Wales, you've probably heard it said, Neil, that Australian cricket always prospered when New South Wales cricket was doing well. I think the same applies to politics. And so New South Wales is a sentinel state when it comes to this kind of uh, activity. And we'll have a special focus on this New South Wales state election as things continue. Come back to this resource for us here, Rob, because people are going to be going, uh, where do I find this resource you're talking about? nswvotes.org.au. No doubt there's a link there on the usual ACL website. But the detail that's on there, right down to how the candidates or how the members voted on crucial issues over the years. So if someone is, you know, when there's pro-life issues, abortion-type issues, you've actually got there how each candidate has voted with, with a green tick for doing the right thing and a red cross for doing the wrong. That's really getting down into the nitty-gritty, isn't it? And that's part of holding uh, politicians accountable. So we, we actually trawl through the Hansard now, the Hansard is a, a document that records how, how every session of Parliament goes and every vote that's taken, every person that votes, we go through those things and we basically put together that document to help people to make a decision. Um, and so in this case, um, we've looked particularly at the life issues because in the last term of Parliament, of course, euthanasia and abortion were both put through Parliament and we've given, um, we've given voters the ability to see who voted how because that gives you insight into what's in people's hearts. Um, often people will say one thing, and politicians are no different. They'll say one thing, but they'll vote a different way depending on numbers, depending on pressures and so forth. To see how they voted actually reveals what's in their heart and where they're sitting. And so that just reminds us, Rob, that in the lead up to the last New South Wales state election, there were a lot of promises coming from the conservative side of politics that no, these things would never happen. We've got to hold the line on where we stand on abortion and on euthanasia. And as you say, uh, those uh, those pins have fallen uh, in this past term. And so people will have their cynicism about how uh, whenever they vote for whichever candidates. This is this makes it all the more important as to how you cast your vote. Yeah, exactly right. 
And look, we shouldn't underestimate, Neil, the amount of pressure that these guys are under in Parliament. It, it's constant. It's never-ending. The party will have a view, and so the local candidate will have a view, and often those two views will be at loggerheads. Um, and that's why we see splits. It's why we see independence breaking out of major parties and so forth. We've seen that with Tanya Mihalik. And so she's left the Labor Party as a lower house candidate. She's now joined One Nation as an upper house candidate. Um, so those things are going on. Their, their worldviews are under attack constantly and they're having to make decisions under pressure. So we've also included a questionnaire for parties, which at the moment has only has two parties in it. And we hope to see that grow by the end of the by the election day. Uh, more and more information will find its way onto that nswvotes.org.au website. Hey, running out of time, let me ask you for some predictions here. How do you think things are likely to uh, to fall when the election happens on the twenty fifth? Uh, any thoughts here? So you're giving me a chance, Neil, to become a prophet now when it comes to politics. We'll give you that opportunity. Okay, well, I'll give it my best <laughs> shot. The, okay. uh, Neil, the polls, we can all see this. I don't think there's anything too prophetic about it. We're seeing the polls narrow, and this is very normal in the lead-up to an election. And so people get very emotional prior to an election, and then come election day, they tend to go back to their, their corner. And so what we're seeing, uh, particularly in the news poll on Monday, is that there's now a four-point difference in primary between Liberal and Labor. The Labor Party is leading. I would say, in my opinion, it's going to be very close. I suspect there will be a hung parliament. Now, if that's the case, the lower house, the, the upper house will be vital. The legislative council will be vital. And we mentioned a few names that are Christians who are standing for upper house seats. Uh, we mentioned Sylvana Nile uh, filling the place of uh, the now legendary Fred Nile, resigning after 42 years. Uh, what a champion he has been as a Christian voice to the New South Wales Parliament. But after this election, he won't be there. And so that might ring an alarm bell or two for some Christians who are thinking, Where's the Christian voice on the New South Wales Upper House crossbench? Uh, we mentioned Lyle Shelton. Uh, we mentioned uh, also Milton Kane. Uh, those names to remember. It'll be difficult for them to be elected. Uh, in the meantime, uh, they need whatever support can come their way if they were to be elevated and to win a position in that Upper House. Uh, wonderful to get your insights today, Rob. Uh, for listeners... One more opportunity, nswvotes.org.au, a very detailed analysis from a Christian perspective on how the sitting members and candidates voted and uh, the likelihood of their uh, election uh, could depend on you. Uh, Rob, thanks so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Great to be with you, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.